Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the first Sunday of 2021. It is really great to see you. Thank you for joining us for worship. Today is uh, Vision Sunday. So Vision Sunday is something we do uh, the first Sunday of every year where we just take a little bit of time to look back over the year that was and see how God was faithful and, and what God did in and through His church. And then we look ahead to what God has for us in the coming year. So you're actually going to hear from both me and Austin today. It'll be about a two-hour service. Kidding, kidding, kidding. Um, you're going to hear from each of us today as we look back and then, and then look ahead. And so I'm going to move pretty quickly, but I want to spend really part of the time as we get started talking about why it's even important to look back. Um, why does God want us to do that? And so I want to look at four texts as we get going uh, this morning. The first one's in Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13, uh, if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there and follow along. If you do not, it's okay. We're going to throw the words up on this really big screen behind me so you can, you can follow along. The Old Testament really is a story of God um, moving his people along through this really epic and crazy journey. Um, and there's these highlights and there's lowlights and there's all these different events and things that, that take place. And, and so what we have in chapter 13 is essentially God has just brought his people out of bondage and captivity to Egypt. And now he's telling them some things he wants them to do um, in, order to, in order to remember this uh, particular moment in their, in their history. And so uh, chapter 13 of Exodus, beginning in verse 6, it says, uh, God says, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day, there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you. No leaven shall be seen with you in your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign um, on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. Uh, for with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep his statute as its appointment time from year to year. So God brings his people out of bondage. And then he says, okay, now I want you to stop. I want you to have this festival, this celebration. I want you to have no leavened bread. Why? So that when your son asks in future generations, you say, because the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Okay? Moving forward a few, a few pages to the right in Exodus chapter 16. Well, now the people are wandering around. They're, they're making their way to the promised land. How is God going to provide for his people? Well, some of you know the story. Actually, God causes manna, it's like bread, to fall from heaven. That's how they're fed. They're fed literally because it like rained bread, which would be pretty awesome if it was like raining chips and salsa or something. That'd be, that'd be really cool. Here's what happens. Verse 32 of Exodus 16. So after this, after God feeds them with bread from heaven, Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer, that's an amount of, of it, of the manna, be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations as the Lord commanded Moses. So Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. And so now they're to keep some manna. Why? So that they can look at, they can remember God's provision, again, God's faithfulness when they were needing to be uh, fed, when they, were, when they were making their way to the promised land. We'll move a little bit further. Um, look at Joshua chapter 4. 
Joshua chapter 4, now you've got the nation that needs to get across the Jordan River. It was a pretty big river. How are they going to get all the people across the river? Well, as uh, God, again, there's another miracle where as the ark of the Lord goes, the waters, God holds back the waters so the people can cross. And then what are they going to do? Well, Joshua chapter 4, verse 5, and Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulders according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall be, a, uh, shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So they, God does this amazing thing for them, and then they're to stop, and they're building this sort of stone memorial to remember God's faithfulness. We'll look at one more text in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 7. Israel is being attacked by the Philistines, kind of their, their arch enemies, if you will. They are outnumbered. Uh, the Philistines were known as great warriors. And so here's what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 10. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, uh, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines, and he threw them into confusion, and they were routed before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far uh, as below beth Then Samuel took a stone, and he set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer, which means stone of help, for he said, the Lord has helped us. And so the Philistines were subdued. They did not again enter the territory of Israel, and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all of the days of Samuel. I could go on and on and on, but here's the point. God is bringing his people on this epic journey, and if you notice, um, every time God does something really big for the people, he tells them to stop and to remember and to celebrate his faithfulness, right? Why, why you know, have this festival, this ceremony every single year, this, this holiday, to remember God's faithfulness? Man, why keep an omer of manna? Well, to remember God's provision, well, why set up all these stones? Well, to remember that God's the one that helped you get across the river. Well, well why set up the Ebenezer stone? Well, remember that God helped you and God brought the victory uh, against the Philistines. And so you see this epic journey that they're on at every moment, at every phase, God's saying, now stop, remember, and celebrate. Here's the thing. Before God's people could move forward with the next part or the next phase or the next thing that God had for them, They were to stop, celebrate, and remember God's faithfulness, God's goodness, God's provision, and God's victory in the previous part of their journey. Now, why is that important? Why do you think God wants his people to stop and remember his faithfulness in the past? I think there's several reasons, but I'll tell you a brief story of my ministry life, and hopefully it'll maybe bring to light at least one of the reasons. So when I was a senior in high school, or right before my senior year, our youth pastor resigned. And our church made the decision they weren't going to quickly rehire that position. They were going to take their time over the course of the year to make sure they got the hire right. And so for that year, we essentially did not have a youth pastor. And my dad, who was the pastor, came to me and said, hey, you know, you're a senior, you're kind of a leader. Um, How would you feel about, you know, taking on some responsibility, helping plan some events and coordinate some activities, maybe teach some Sunday school and some discipleship? You can preach at our student service. And my first thoughts were, "I I don't think I can do that. I don't think I'm ready for that. I feel woefully unqualified um, as a student myself to step in and be like a student leader. 
Long story short, God blessed, God worked, God, I feel like, used um, inadequate Dave, and it was just a great, it was a great year. And honestly, God used that season of my life to help sort of plant some seeds in my life, in my mind, that maybe ministry is what God wanted me to do. Now, fast forward a few years later. I'm a, between my sophomore and junior year of college, I get a call from the pastor of the church that I was attending while I was in school. And he says, our youth pastor resigned. Um, how would you feel about interviewing for our youth pastor position? And again, I had the same thoughts. I don't know if I can do that. I don't feel ready for that. I feel woefully inadequate to take on that role as a student still. But I remembered the faithfulness of God from a few years earlier. I remembered how I felt back then and how God still worked and moved. And so I said, okay, let's, let's, let's give it a shot. Let's do this. And it was a fruitful time. We, we had a great ministry there for years, and I saw hearts and lives changed, and it was wonderful. Fast forward about seven or eight years later, I'm speaking at a student camp when a friend of mine calls me and says, how would you feel about helping to plant a church in Central Texas? And again, the same thoughts and feelings flooded through my mind. I don't think I can do that. I feel, I feel woefully inadequate to, to, to do something like that. I don't think I'm ready, but remembering God's faithfulness from a few years earlier, remembering God's faithfulness from even way back to high school gave me the strength and courage that I needed to go, okay, let's, let's give it a shot. You see, remembering God's faithfulness from the past often is what gives us the courage and the strength to move forward with what God has for us next. Remembering God's faithfulness in the past gives us the courage and the strength we need to move forward with the next phase, the next thing that God has for us. And that's the same thing God did through his people in the Old Testament. And so what we want to do really quick before Austin comes and and starts to, you know, he's going to share a little bit about how we're going to sort of lean into 2021. I want to talk just a little bit about some things God was able to do in and through you, his church in 2020. I know it's easy to chalk 2020 up as a big waste, right? Crazy year. It was, it was a ridiculous year. Nothing went as planned. Um, let's just hurry and get it past us and move on. But I think it's important to remember the faithfulness of God from the past so that we can move forward into what he has for us in the future. Okay? So uh, our challenge last year during Vision Sunday was to be a church that makes disciples. We don't want to be a mile wide and an inch deep. We want to be a church that is producing disciples. And so specifically last year on Vision Sunday, we stood before you and we said, look, if we're going to make disciples, what we want for you is to fully live into, sort of fully participate in our discipleship pathway. Our discipleship pathway is, is five things, worship, connect, give, serve, and go. And we said, look, as a church, if we will lean into those things and we will participate in those things, man, we are going to be producing and we are going to be making disciples. Now, 2020 threw some curveballs, right? 2020 presented some, some unforeseen challenges. But how were we able to live out that discipleship pathway? Well, I'll, I'll just quickly and briefly walk through this. First of all, worship. We were able, in the middle of a pandemic, to figure out how to do church and worship every single week. Our media group, our media department, they were phenomenal. They did an unbelievable job. Every single week, first through, uh, through technology and media, we were able to have worship because worship is really important for God's people. And then we made some decisions as we moved closer into the fall about reopening and how to safely uh, have worship and social distance and wear masks. And we got the approval of the local health department to kind of say, hey, what you're doing is safe. And Made a lot of really important decisions, but it was a big accomplishment to go, hey, we didn't have to just put church on hold. We were able to keep doing church and, and holding worship during the pandemic. 
When it comes to connection, the next part of the discipleship pathway, first of all, early last year, we hired Sarah Hammond as our associate uh, community pastor because we said, look, connecting people is so important. We want to make sure we have the right leadership in place to make that happen. So we hired Sarah. During the pandemic, we completely redid or overhauled our Discover the Vista membership process. We wanted to make that more thorough. We wanted to really up what it meant to be a member. And so we completely redid and overhauled that. We made it better. We also rolled out our our Vista app, which uh, for better and more efficient connection for you to church resources. We also developed our rule of life. Austin's going to talk about that in a moment. Our rule of life that we unveiled in the fall, which is four daily and then four weekly habits in order for you to connect to God was all rolled out in order to help connection take place during the, during the pandemic, during 2020. When it comes to giving, we saw an unbelievable, this, is, this, is, this really laid the groundwork for a lot of things. During a pandemic, we actually saw a giving increase among our people. It was unbelievable. We, we were really prepared, trying to really look at things and thinking, we're going to see a big hit, man. But, but, but we didn't. We didn't. You were faithful. Our people were faithful, and they gave. And that really opened the door for us to do a lot We were able to do more ministry, not less. We were able to give out more that went out of the doors of our church to bless other people, not less. We gave a large gift to Serve Life to help them build an orphanage in Nepal where we work. We assisted more families with rent and utilities and food than we ever have before. We paid off over $850,000 in debt, which is going to help free up funds for us to do more ministry down the road all during the pandemic, right? We gave more to our local partners and our global partners than we ever have in the history of our church, all during a pandemic. When it comes to serving and going, the last parts of that discipleship pathway, a lot of the response had to do with our our COVID response. Again, this thing happened that none of us anticipated, none of us were planned or prepared for. How are we going to respond? Well, we helped create a delivery system for Belton ISD to help kids get meals during, during the pandemic when many had to stay home. We, uh, we increased our participation with local partners like Helping Hands and the Love of Christ Food Pantry. We sent more volunteers to give out food um, than, than we ever have before and increased our funding for those. We've talked about For the City few months back and how we had better participation in For the City than we've ever had, sending out teams and groups all over our community to serve and to love and to bless the community that God has placed us in. And I could go on and on and on. Lives were changed. People came to know Jesus in this last year. People were baptized. People got connected to the church during a pandemic. And my point in telling you all of this is to just remind you of one simple truth, that often uh, the point of struggle in your life, those points maybe of deepest hurt, will often also become the, the points that provide the greatest opportunity for ministry for you. And that is true for us as a church. We found that to be true this last year. COVID happened, and yet rather than seeing it as this giant obstacle, we thought, you know what? What turns out is there was a great opportunity for us as a church to minister and love and serve. And I'm telling you, the same is true for you. That point of greatest struggle and greatest need for you may just be the point of greatest opportunity for ministry in your life. So Austin's going to come, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about 2021 and where we're heading. But I wanted just to remind you briefly, 2020 was not a waste. God was at work. God was moving And for all that God did and all that God accomplished through his church, we just wanted to stop, kind of set up our Ebenezer stone, if you will, and say, thanks be to God for his goodness. Good morning, everybody. 
Happy New Year. It's wonderful to see you. If we haven't met before, my name is Austin. I'm one of our lead pastors here. Uh, I have always loved Vision Sundays, one of my favorite Sundays of the year, because I love talking about vision. You know, I love like painting the big picture, standing on top of the mountain, reminding ourselves where we've been and dreaming about where we're going to go. And that kind of vision is really, really important. As wise old Solomon reminded us a couple thousand years ago, this is Proverbs 29, verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. You've got to have vision. Or much more recently, the theologian James Smith has said that we humans, we're like existential sharks. It's a good phrase, isn't it? existential sharks, meaning that just as a shark has to be swimming in order to live, get the water passing through its gills to get the oxygen, so we humans always have to be moving towards something, have to be swimming towards something, have vision pumping through our gills or else we suffocate and we sink. And so, yeah, I love talking about vision. And yet, I I found preparing for Vision Sunday 2021 very difficult because we all just lived through an entire year of 2020 mocking all of our dreams and visions, right? Because Dave was right. He just did a really good job with that. 2020 was not a failure because God was faithful. Amen? God was faithful in 2020. God was. 2020 was not a failure, but it sure was humbling, wasn't it? Right? This is my 2020 in a nutshell. Uh, If you're a parent, we had a baby in quarantine. A lot less Mary Poppins in the Fisher household in 2020. I got to tell you, it got a little boozy at certain moments. And so as I was reflecting on 2020... And uh, dreaming about 2021, I realized that the main thing that 2020 taught me about vision is that I can't see the future nearly as clearly as I thought I could. Anybody else? As it turns out, my vision of the future is not 2020 because, y'all, I thought a lot about 2020. I prepped for it. I planned for it. I had a vision board and all these goals and plans in my journal. I thought a lot about 2020. But nowhere in my wildest dreams did I imagine a scenario in which we would all be, you know, raiding H-E-B for toilet paper because we were worried there wasn't going to be enough to go around. I thought we'd be fighting over what color our spaceships were in 2020. And we were worried about toilet paper. Toilet paper. And so what can you say about vision going into 2021 with a straight face? When 2020 is sitting on the front row with a roll of toilet paper, just laughing at you, right? Just laughing all your dreams and visions and your proclamations and your prophecies, right? That's the challenge. So Acts 2, we're going to read just a few verses here. It's one of those classic texts from the early church. Here's what it says. It says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many signs and wonders were taking place through the apostles. And all those who believed were together. They had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Right? So the early church was probably the most successful and powerful movement in the history of the world. Okay, at the time of Jesus' death, there's around 120 people. That's all, in the whole world. So about the same number of people who are in this room in the whole world following Jesus at that point. And yet, just a few generations, their number grows from 120 to somewhere north of 6 
million. 120 and 6 million. Just a few generations. It's remarkable exponential growth. And yet when you read the stories about the early Christians, you don't get the sense that they had much of a plan. You know what I mean? You just don't get the sense that they had much of a plan. Like you don't see Peter, James, and John getting together in late 80, 33 for a, a vision planning retreat where they map out their 5, 10, and 20-year goals. You know, and they're like, hey, what are we going to do in the first quarter? Well, how about we, well, we'll have the Holy Spirit fall on us and we'll speak in languages we can't speak and then we'll, we'll recruit Paul. We'll have him blinded while he's riding on a horse and then he'll kind of do everything else for us and then we'll jump up to six million by the time, you know, 10 years up. Sounds like a good plan? Sounds like a good plan. No, rather, what sticks out when you read these stories about the early Christians is that instead of having long-term growth plans, they practiced daily faithfulness. Okay, instead of having long-term growth plans, they practiced daily faithfulness. And this comes through really clearly in this little summary story that we just read. Right? We're told that everybody is feeling a sense of awe and wonder. That all these miraculous things are happening through the apostles. That God is adding to their number daily those who are being saved. It's got this almost mythical feel to it. All the descriptions do. But when we cut through all the fluff and we get down to what my grandfather would call uh, the meat and potatoes. right? When you get through the fluff it all starts to look surprisingly ordinary. You notice it? Because what's happening? Oh, there are all these signs and wonders taking place. All this miraculous stuff is happening. God's adding to their number daily. Oh my goodness, it sounds awesome. Cool, cool, cool. But what exactly were they doing? Now, were they, were they daydreaming on mountaintops? You know? Were they meditating, coming up with these long-term growth plans about what they were going to do? Is that what they were doing? No, no. Rather, here's what they were doing. Okay? It's really, really simple. They studied the scriptures, they shared their stuff, they shared lots of meals, and they prayed lots of prayers. That's what they did. Sometimes I like to imagine a, a, a modern church consultant, I don't know if you've ever had the pleasure of talking with one, but sitting down with Peter, James, and John, the three leaders, you know, and the modern church consultant's like, hey guys, you got something good going on here, I like it, I see some growth here, I see some potential, but how are you going to take this thing to the next level, like, what's the vision for this thing, how are you going to convert the Gentiles, how are you going to topple the Roman Empire, how are you going to take this thing to the next level, can I talk to you about West Jerusalem and the population density surveys we've seen from there, there's a lot of young families moving in, a lot of small businesses, I'm telling you, it's a place you're really going to want to be. So what's your growth plan for this thing, guys? And Peter, James, and John, they look around at each other like, oh, the plan. Yeah, yeah, we got a plan. Peter, you tell them the plan. No, no, James, you're JC's brother. You tell them the plan. Okay, I'll tell you the plan. The plan. We really should have written this down somewhere. Uh, the plan is we study the scriptures. We share our stuff. We share lots of meals. What was the fourth one? Oh, yeah. We pray lots of prayers. That's it. That's the plan. And the modern church consultant's like, yeah, that's, that's never going to work, man. Let me talk to you more about West Jerusalem. I'm telling you, it's a booming community. You want to get a church plan in over there. Now, to be clear, long-term planning is important. It really is. And if you don't believe me, just go talk to somebody about how much money you should be saving up right now if you want to send your kids to college one day. Spoiler alert, all of it. That's how much you should be saving up if you want your kids to go to college one day. It's very, very important, right? We need these moments of panoramic vision, elevation, but all that long-term planning and panoramic vision, it ain't going to do you any good if you don't know how to live today. And one of the things that really sticks out when we read these stories about the early Christians is they knew how to live today. And here's what I'm getting at. 
modern talk about vision tends to revolve around this idea that you need to come up with, you know, like a, a grand vision for your life and then work backwards from there. Okay, so envision, picture the, the family, the career, the life, the marriage you wish you had, and then come up with a plan that will help that vision become a reality. Work backwards from the big picture vision. And there's something to that, you know, because we need those moments of big picture vision and elevation. Yes, absolutely. But we also have to make sure that we come at vision from the other direction, meaning that instead of just having a grand vision for your whole life and then working backwards from there, we also have to come up with a simple, concrete vision for a day, a single day, and then work forwards from there. Because I know a lot of people, namely myself, myself is the person I know best, who have a vision for their entire lives, but they don't have a vision for a day. I know people who have these grand visions of flourishing families and careers and marriages and houses. They got a vision for all that stuff. But they don't know how to pray. They don't know how to pray. They got visions of changing the world, making the world a better place. But they don't know how to invite somebody to church. So am I saying vision isn't important? Oh, of course vision is important. You're an existential shark, man. you got to have vision. But what I am saying is this. In order to have a vision for a life, you've got to have a vision for a day. And so many of us don't. Now, one of my favorite theologians is a guy named Stanley Hauerwas. He's a, uh, he's a native Texan who cusses way too much. It's part of why I like him a lot. And yet he was named by Time Magazine as America's best theologian in 2001. There's a picture of Stanley. He was born just a little bit north of Dallas. Uh, and he's written a lot of stuff in his life. He's written about everything under the sun. War, worship, sexuality, people with disabilities, virtue ethics, literary theory, you name it. And Stanley Hauerwas has written a book about it. He's nearing the end of his life now. And in his most recent book, he's kind of reflecting on his life's work. And he says that he realized that when it all comes down to it, all he's really been trying to do through 50, 60 books he's written, all he's really been trying to do is teach somebody how to live a day, one full day as a Christian. That's all he's trying to do. And that struck a chord, man, somewhere down deep inside me. Because I realized that when it, when it really comes down to it and we cut through everything else when it really comes down to it that's what I'm trying to do too that's what you're trying to do I'm just trying to live a day y'all one full day unconditionally following and obeying the God who made me and calls me because if you want to have a vision for a whole life and that's great but if you want to have a vision for a whole life you've got to have a vision for a day I want to end with this few months back, as Dave mentioned, we introduced you to something called our Vista Rule of Life. It's not a set of rules that you have to follow. It's a set of habits that we invite you to try out. It's a set of four daily and weekly habits. I'm going to remind you of them. Right? Our four daily habits are daily prayer. Right? Three times a day, daily prayer. We give you really helpful scripts for those that you can use. You don't have to make it all up yourself. Daily scripture reading. Daily shared meals, just like you read about in Acts 2. And then daily technology discipline, which you don't read about in Acts 2, but you and I both know that we need. Our four weekly habits are a weekly Sabbath, 24 hours of rest, a kind interaction with a stranger, time 
with the vulnerable and underprivileged and invite somebody to church. Every single week we invite somebody to church. And what our rule of life does, okay, is it gives you a vision for a day and a week. A vision that you can then build whatever life you want. You can then build a really healthy, flourishing life on top of this foundation because you know what a day looks like now. You know what a week looks like now. And so, you know, there are all sorts of dreams and and visions that I know we all have for 2021. And 2020 was rough, so I hope, you know, that all your dreams come true. I know I sound like a mix of Oprah and Joel Osteen there, but I hope that all your dreams and visions come true in 2021. But I'd also like to invite you and yours to join us in making 2021 a year, okay? Where we learn how to spend our lives following Jesus. By learning how to follow him for a day, one day at a time, okay? Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for the gift of another day. Thank you for all my friends who are gathered here today, new friends, old friends. I am so grateful that you brought them here, and I pray that you would bless their faithfulness this morning. God, as we reflect on this past year, we reflect on your faithfulness. God, you never gave up on us. You worked in unbelievable ways, and 2020 was a very hard year. But God, you never left our side, and so we just pause and say thank you because we don't deserve to be here. We don't deserve to exist, to have breath in our lungs. As we look forward to 2021, it's easy to, uh, you know, to, to daydream and to get caught up in these things that we call vision, but a lot of times it's just excuses. A lot of times vision is the name we give our excuses, Excuses to daydream about the lives, the marriages, the friendships we wish we had instead of tending to the lives, the marriages, the careers, the friendships we actually have. And so we pray that we would do that slow, patient work, God, of just daily faithfulness and attentiveness. We'd say our prayers, study the scriptures, share our stuff with these people who are our family, this family called a church. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.